0: Um, I I was uh, saying this is uh, one of my favorite services of the year, uh, the Good Friday service, um, because I believe it's something extremely important that we need to, uh, yes, celebrate, but also to recognize. So I want to open with a prayer. If you'll join me in prayer right now. Lord God, we come to you on this evening, this Good Friday evening, as the world uh, rushes by and looks with anticipation about Easter celebration. We pause right now, those of us here and those who are uh, part of this with Church Online, just recognizing the ultimate cost that you paid, that cost of giving up your life and your suffering and death that led to your resurrection. And so, God, during this time, we don't look upon that lightly. Uh, We recognize that all grace, all undeserved love comes from you. And as the theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, um, grace is free, but it's not cheap. It cost our Savior's life. So as we take this time um, through message and song, may we just focus on that great love that you have for us, the great love that was displayed so many years ago in Jerusalem on a hill called Golgotha, where you gave up your life for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. This, uh, This evening we will be sharing a series of uh, verses from Scripture along with song. Most of our readings this evening will come from the Gospel of Mark. And if you have your Bibles, feel free to follow along. And um, we are going to go ahead and share primarily beginning in Mark 14 and continuing through Mark 15. Our first verse comes from Mark chapter 14, verse 12. And it says to us this, On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread... When it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparation to eat the Passover? He sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner as he enters the house, The teacher, ask, Where is my guest room where I may eat Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left and went into the city, and they found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they began to say to him, Surely you don't mean me? It is one of the twelve, he replied. One who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said for them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. After they went through the valley to the Mount of Olives, we pick up in Mark chapter chapter 14, verse 27. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written... I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself would disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I go pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed to sorrow to the point of death, he said. Stay here and keep watch. And going a little further, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if Possible this hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you, so take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The Spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed, and the same thing. When he came back again, he found them sleeping, because their eyes had grown very heavy, and they did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer.
1: And you oh.
0: Our next reading comes from Mark 14, verses 43 through 52. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared, and with him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with him, the one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew a sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Verse 53. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and there he sat with the guards and warmed himself by the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against them. They said, we have heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days will build another not made with hands. Yet even their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent, and he gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Beloved One and the Blessed One? I am, Jesus said, and you will see the Son of Man at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him, worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him, with their fists and beat him and said to him, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. At this time, I'm going to ask for the servers for communion to come forward. As we recognize on the night which Jesus gave himself up for us, he took the bread in the Seder meal. He gave God, gave it to God, saying that thing that they had said for a long, long time, with just a brief gap from the time of Moses, saying, Blessed are you, Lord God, creator, ruler, sovereign of the universe, G- gives us grain from the field that we may have bread to eat. And he broke it, as the scripture says, and he gave it to his disciples and passed it around to them. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to God and said, Blessed are you, Lord God, ruler and king and sovereign of the universe that gives us fruit of the vine that we may have drink. And once again, he passed it around and gave it to his disciples and said, Take from this and drink from this. This is my blood of the covenant for you and for many. In the Seder meal that had been done for years, there were several cups, and many scholars believe that it was the cup of redemption. And usually in the special service part where the bread is broken, and given. There's a lot of different parts where they share it, but one part is called the Africa men, which means I have come. So in this last Seder meal that he would have before his crucifixion, Jesus was saying, I have come to redeem you. And that's exactly what he was sharing. Um, We also want to recognize that, Lord God, as these become for us the body and the blood of Christ, that we may be for the world, the body of Christ, redeemed and set apart by his Holy Spirit. You tell us to do this in remembrance of you, and we do that this evening, in remembrance of that gift that you gave of your life so long ago. Make us really come to the table with a couple things that we check our heart to see where we are with God and see if He needs to change something. And that's okay. Um, do we want to live at peace? Other people in our lives, I, this is a dumb question I'm going to ask. Other people in our lives we don't get along with pretty well? Yeah, there's probably plenty of them. And we just pray that we've done all we can, God, but even if we haven't, you help us a little bit more in those areas. Help us overcome that. And do we ask you to repent of our sins, those sins that we have in our life? Can you remove that from us, God? Because that's what this day is about, you removing that sin from the world. And so as we do that, we also want to recognize, we recognize that we live in a time where people have allergies to gluten. If you, want, if you would like some gluten-free Jesus, <laughs> come on up this way, um, and we can go ahead and, um, and cel- celebrate that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve them first, And um, also um, those doing worship, if you want to come first, we'll serve you so you can go ahead. please come to the table of the Lord. We're going to ask that you just come from the back up this way, the back up this way, and the back over that way. Unless you need uh, gluten-free, please come over this way.
1: Chosen to save this is the way you make all things do. This is the way you chosen to save. This is the way you make all things new. Broken and beautiful, broken and beautiful, extravagantly. Prodigal grace, broken and beautiful,
2: broken and
1: beautiful, God's perfect justice, mercy's embrace, broken and beautiful. Drink the
0: from Mark 14, through 72 While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by, and she saw Peter warming himself and looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said. And then he went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said to those standing around with them, this fellow was, with, was, one of, was one of them. He denied it again. And after a little while, those standing nearby Peter said, surely you're one of those because you're a Galilean. And he began to call down curses on himself and he swore to them, I don't know this man you are talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time and Peter remembered the words that Jesus spoke to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times, and he broke down, and he wept. Well, very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, they led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, are you going to answer See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was a custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. You want me to release the king of the Jews, asked Pilate knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate released Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one that you call the king of the Jews? And Pilate asked them this. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him, crucify him. And wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and then handed him over to be crucified. I'm gonna speak. Oh I'm gonna do the message now. Not yet. I'm gonna do this right now, right? Because we don't have it there. All right. What a, what a story. We've heard it tons of times, am I right? Heard it many, 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 many times over the years, and it never gets old because it's new. When we talk about the cross, and we look at the cross, we've become kind of numb to crosses, haven't we? We see them as jewelry. We see them as um, on the sides of the roads with people's names. We see them if we go by... Uh, cemeteries we see them and it's just become part of our nature during this time of year um, one of the, the traditional services that pastors tend to do and I've seen where community groups come together and they do a seven last words of Christ or seven, there's basically seven last sayings of them is the first one is father forgive them for they do not know what they do the second one is truly I say to you Jesus said this to the thief on the cross, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The third one is to his mother with John down there, and he says, Woman, this is your son. Son, this is your mother. The fourth verse is, My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? The fifth statement is, I thirst. Number six is what I'm going to share about tonight. It is finished. And number seven is, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Because I believe that these verses tend to summarize this whole weekend and the events leading up to this weekend. In John chapter 19, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me because I didn't, I didn't give it to you on the screen tonight. In John chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus is on the cross, and when he had finished and received the bitter drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. Three words in English, three little words, it is finished. Maybe the first two are some of the first words that we learn in our language. But in Greek, it's one word. In order to convey what we need to convey, we have to put it in three words. But it's one word in Greek, and it's in Koine Greek, which the New Testament is written in, called tetelestai. Anybody want to say that with me? Go ahead. Tetelestai. It means it is finished. And it was something that was normally used. It was something that was used in the marketplace uh, several, several times. When you completed an agreement or a job, you would say... To die or you're getting ready to go home for a day of work, you'd say, to die meaning you got done and you're checking out. Many people today were looking at that clock, knowing it's a holiday weekend, saying, Hallelujah, to die They're out of here. And so it's something that had been heard, and in the merchant world, what it, it it was a happy thing that meant simply this, paid in full. Everything's paid in full. It was always happy because it was a great achievement. I know. <coughs> Many people who are in the construction business talk about that great day when they're able to hand over the keys to somebody because it's to die it's finished. Because by the time, anybody ever built a house? If you've ever built a house, it's to die when you get in there. Am I right? You're glad, it's so great when you're starting off, but by the time you get to the end, you are glad it's finished. It's happy because there's a completion that exists there in this. It's finished. We've just been thinking about some of this over our one month to live series, and in that process, we've been thinking about if we're laying on our deathbed and heaven's coming soon. What are we going to be thinking of? In Second Timothy, verse uh, chapter four, that's what the apostle Paul pretty much says. He says, "I'm finished. I'm done. I'm good. I'm ready to go on and be with heaven, be in heaven to die. It's good. It's a word of achievement, of victory, of accomplishment." And yet, Jesus, in the moment right before He gives up His spirit, mentions this joyous market term to Telestai. The task is completed. There's four things that I want to share with us tonight, based off of this word, to Telestai. The first thing, and there are questions. And the first question I've got for you is, what was finished? It, it, you ever had people just say it to you and you don't have a clue what they're talking about? It is finished. So what is the it in this? You notice that Jesus did not say, I am finished. After all that, I'm finished and give up his spirit. He said, it is finished. What was the it? Because in a contract and in this discussion, you have to pay for something to have it paid in full. And he's addressing at the core of the cross, the nature of the cross is Sin. It's the problem of sin. It's more than just a sacrifice that Jesus gave for us. It's more than just a great statement of a leader laying down his life. It has to do with something called the debt incurred by sin. And this debt that we have is a debt that we are unable to pay. Now let me ask you. Is anyone going to be honest enough to say that you've ever had a debt that you couldn't really pay in life? okay, that you have this thing, and you've paid on it for years. Like, I remember when I first went to college, they used to put these little things in your mailbox, and they were called credit card applications, and it only had 19.98% interest, but that was in the small print on the back. And I remember before we got married, Melissa was like, we are going to pay this off before we get married. We're going to do this. I'm going to pay it off, and she just did. And I was like, why don't we have any money? She goes, because I'm paying off that credit card. that you have. But I would pay the minimum card payment. You only had to pay $28 a month. It was wonderful. And just keep racking it up, right? I couldn't pay that debt. You may have even refinanced. And you can't pay that off either as well. And sin is a debt that none of us can pay. We can't pay it because it's a debt to the holiness of God. God is perfect, and we can't pay a perfect debt. Therefore, we can't get rid of it under our own strength, because we've got to be perfect. And guess what? We're not perfect. Whisper to somebody, because it's a good Friday service. You don't have to look at it. Whisper to them and say, you ain't perfect. And neither am I, <laughs> all right? Because of sin, humanity has a great debt that we cannot pay. I don't want you to miss out on that because I think many do not believe that. I think many walking around right outside these walls have no clue that they have a debt or they hear it but they don't believe it. Because they live life in this way that if I'm given enough time, if I'm given enough religion, if I if I read enough self-help books, I'll even read some Christian self-help books, if I do enough philanthropy in my life if I'm kind and if I have enough time to be kind if I do that then I'll pay the debt but God does not teachers in here does not grade on the curve and what I mean by that is how many of you remember school I remember you were in school and you had those teachers who graded on the curve basically that if everybody was dumb in the class you all got a better grade you remember those days and there was that one little nerd named Billy who wrecked the whole curve and everybody wanted to take him out back and beat the C out of him, you know, and beat the D and it's a, you could get an A. You wanted to do that. There was always that one person who messed up the curve. But God doesn't grade on the curve. Not at all. But so, so what do we do to pay this debt? Something had to address the debt of sin. And you know what it was? Because it, we don't know. We we tried. People tried for years. People tried from Adam and Eve on. They set entire religious systems up. All entire sacrificial systems of, of lambs going ahead and being sacrificed and doves and all this kind of stuff was going on. And all that did was delay a foreclosure. Has anybody had... A time where you just paid your bill in the nick of time? Just in the nick of time? Like, I always like that when the cell phone companies, like when you, you wouldn't pay your bill and you didn't have the notifications on your phone, that you pick up the phone and you go to make a phone call and they're saying, I'm sorry, you're unable to make a phone call. Call this number. You ever, ever do that? And uh, before we totally cut off your service and you call that number right away? You're like, okay, okay, I'll pay it. Do you take a credit card? Okay, I'll pay it. And you pay it off and you're like, I have that. Sin is a debt that we cannot pay. Once you sin, you have a debt that you can't pay. God doesn't say, if you just get a little bit close, like, you know, those students that come up to you and say, well, I got a 99.6. Can I get, a, can I get an A plus? Or I got a 70, 78.9. Can I get a, a B? Nope. God doesn't grade on the curve. It's like a basketball game. I know many of us have been watching basketball, and now we're all in the same boat, unless you're a Kansas fan or Oregon fan, um, because we all pretty much stink right now. But can you imagine you're playing basketball? It's for the NCAA championship. The teams are tied 70 to 70. The ball, there's a couple seconds left. The ball is thrown in to the star player. He dribbles down court. He takes a half-court shot. He shoots it up. It looks like it's going right in, but it hits the rim, and it rolls around, rolls around, rolls around, and out. And all of a sudden, he runs over to the referee and goes, can I get two points? Because that was close. Just, it was close. Can I get that? The referee is going to stop and explain to him, unless it goes through, unless it is completely through, it doesn't count. And just because you're a nice person, being close doesn't work. You see, a lot of people think God is going to change the rules one day. That when you're at the half court shot of your life and you, in times you're running low, and you just throw it up and you bounce it off the rim and you say, "But well, God, hey, I was a good person. Come on, God, give me a mulligan on this one, just one here." I remember one of the first discussions I had with someone who was a clergy candidate when I was doing clinical pastoral education some 18 years ago. Um, and we met with people who were in seminary, who were getting additional training in a, in a hospital. And we got into a discussion. And the discussion that he had is, what if God, at the end of everything, just changed it all and says, okay, everybody come in. And I said, he's not going to. How do you know? I said, because I know his word. And he said, but let's just, let's just say that God, all of a sudden, you know, a loving God just all of a sudden says, <laughs> come on in, everybody. I said, that God just says, and I was just joking about that. And he turns to his son and said, you know what, Jesus, sorry about that crucifixion and suffering thing. I'm just going to change it all now. I said, he can't. He can't because he's a holy God. And we're not. It's only through his son Like, for instance, let's say we decide to do this. Let's say we decide to all go to, uh, let's say we, we decide to go to the beach in California. Pick a nice one. Anybody got a nice one? La Jolla, is that decent? Laguna, Laguna Beach, there we go. It's not just an MTV show, an old MTV show. It's a nice beach. So we go to Laguna Beach, and I say, you know what, guys? This is nice, but Hawaii is a lot nicer. Let's swim for it. And we start to swim. And we start to swim, and we're just cruising. We're just cruising through, and then I, then people start to drop off. And we're cruising, and I look back at you all dropping off. And I'm swimming, and I'm doing the backstroke, and I, I got this. And guess what? I realize we're not even a couple miles offshore. You know, I may have gotten a little further, But the result is exactly the same. I'm going to drown. It's the same thing when we look at our lives. We may make it a little bit farther, but if we haven't gone to Jesus, who is the one who gets us to the destination, the result is exactly the same. No matter how good you swim, you ain't going to make it from Laguna Beach to Hawaii. And no matter how good you are, you can't make it from earth to heaven without the help of Jesus Christ. It's too far. That's number one. Number two is this. Here's the next question. Then what's the payment? Okay, Jack, you told me we can't do it, so what's the payment? The death of Christ. You notice it wasn't until after Jesus said, it is finished, that he gave up his spirit and died. Because the Bible is very clear that the wages of sin is what? Death. Physical death means separation of the, the soul from the body. <laughs> Spiritual death is separation of the soul from God. Sin's debts are so great that only God can pay for it. We own the debt, but only God has enough in his account to pick up the charge. The penalty for sin is death. And look around the room if you can squint a little bit. We're all going to die. We can't pick up that payment. I can run all I want. I can eat the most bland stuff in the world. I could eat rice cakes from here to the time, kingdom come, and I'm still going to die. That might make me die quicker. And you know what's cool? But God is, God's got to pay the debt, but God is spirit, and he can't die. So how can I get this debt paid? It's something, I'm going to take you back to another 70-degree weather day called Christmas. Remember that? And something happened that we recognized It's called God Became Flesh, called the Incarnation. That in Bethlehem, the house of bread, the bread of life, was born. He was born in Bethlehem. And he was was able to live and to grow and to die as a man, but had the perfection of God, fully God, fully human, what is known as the God-man, Jesus Christ himself, one of a kind, son of God. No one like him. How do I know that? John 3.16 reminds me of that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only, our only begotten son. That means there's nobody like him. He's one of a kind. There's no mold to be made because he's it. He is the God-man. And on the cross, the death of Christ finally paid for our sins. The sins of man. Death was paid for. What did it pay for? You see, God took the penalty so he could love us greatly by paying for the sin to satisfy his wrath so he could express his love without compromising his nature. I'm going to say that again because I really love this statement here. God took the penalty by paying for our sin to satisfy his wrath so he could express his love without compromising his nature. That's a loving God. You see, it was so important for Jesus to prove his sinlessness to pay your debt and my debt because he owed nothing himself. And you know one of the things I learned very interesting in life? You can't get others out of debt if you owe everybody. Think about that. I would love, you know, I've always talked to God. Remember that big lottery a while ago? I always thought that would be really cool because I would help a lot of people. I can help some now, but I can't help near as many as I want. You know why? Because I owe, I owe, and off to work I go. That's Why? because we owe people things in life in 1 Corinthians 5 Paul tells us this God made him who had no sin to be sin to become on the cross sin uh, as for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Now that's something we read through very quickly. God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Let's unpack this a little bit because in order to satisfy a holy God, you have to be as good and holy as God is. Look around. Ain't one of us going to do that. God demands perfection. And here's what's really cool. Hang with me here. Jesus lived Most scholars believe 33 years of perfection, sinlessness. He said, I always do what pleases the Father. My thoughts are the Father. Whatever the Father wants, I do. 33 years of that. So he who had no sin became sin on our behalf. He became a substitution for us and for all of us for those who had committed sins before, those who committed sins at that moment, and for us here today. Now, I want to compare this to something. Let's pretend that I had a mil- that you had a million dollars of debt. You have a million dollars of debt, and all of a sudden you receive a call from your bank. And they say, uh, Hello, Mr. Cohen. I've got news for you. Um, someone put a million dollars in your bank account and paid your debt. After you fell on the floor and woke up, would you be happy about that? You're darn right. And on the cross, here's what happened. Jesus paid the price for your or my sin. And then God takes that 33 years of Jesus' perfection and he credits it to your account. He takes the sin from your account and credits it to your account, the 33 years of Christ's perfection. He looks at Jesus' perfection and credits it to your account. It's not a debt, but you have a surplus now. Because he's removed that, and he gives that 33 years into there. The righteousness of God is now in you because of Christ. The death of Christ is Christ is the only, only payment that we can have that takes us away. In Acts chapter 4, it tells us salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name. That's very clear. Isn't it? Salvation is found in who? No one else. And there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be what? Saved. So the death of Jesus pays for it. So number three, the proof of the payment. When you pay a bill, you want a proof of payment. Even when you do it on the phone, they give you that little number. Which you, which you, How many of you listen and don't write it down? You're like, hurry up, and then you're like, okay, uh-huh, yeah, okay, three, yeah, okay, bye. Because then you, you say, they're going to send me an email anyway. <laughs> okay, The proof of the payment. You need a receipt. In a restaurant, when you pay with a credit card, they come at you and they ask you to sign before the days of where they made you sign everything electronic, and you, we all are... Don't sign cursive anymore. But they bring this, that paper, and they still do in some places, and they tell you the yellow copy is for you and the white copy is for us. The yellow copy is yours and the white copy is for us. The white copy tells them and the one who's paying it that payment's been made. The yellow copy is that you can prove it. How do we know that we haven't made a mistake by banking our entire lives on Christ? Save us. Because the receipt is based on something that although we're celebrating Good Friday tonight, I'm reminded of an old sermon by Tony Campola which said, it's Friday, but Sunday's a coming. The receipt is early Sunday morning. The resurrection. You see, you can't place a living faith on a dead Savior. 1 Corinthians 15, 4 said, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. I want to tell you something right now. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, we are all the biggest, most foolish, time wasting people in our lives because we only get 78 to 80 plus years in our lives. And we're wasting it sitting here on Sundays and sitting here on a Friday night where we could be having fun. Paul himself says, You're an idiot. If, it, if he didn't raise from the dead. You're wasting every ounce of your breath if he didn't raise from the dead. He said, the proof is in the pudding. He is alive because a dead Savior helps no one. And he also goes on to add in, verse, in 1 Corinthians 15, 17 through 19, and we are the most pitiful of all people if he hasn't been raised from the dead. But he has. I got my receipt. In John chapter 20. Now this is a little bit, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but I want to show you in John chapter 20. I want to go, if you have your Bibles, I want to go to verse 4. This is after Peter and John are told that Jesus rose from the dead, or he wasn't there. And so I'm going to pick up in verse, uh, Peter and John started running in verse 4. It says, both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I think that's very funny that in telling of the story of the resurrection, of Jesus. of John has to tell us that he's faster than Simon Peter. I think that's very human. Um, and he bent over and he looked in at now listen, this, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him. He's still telling him he's taking a long time. Come on! And when he went straight in the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head, the cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linens. Finally, the other disciple, that's John, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. And look at this verse. He saw and believed. Now, we read that and say, that's nice. But John goes in. He peeks in. He doesn't go in. Simon Peter comes in. He sees something. He sees the cloth. He sees the the linens that wrapped him around like this, the barrel cloth that wrapped around like this, and the shroud over top of his head, the, the, the head cloth, the headband cloth. And it tells us specifically there that when John went in, he saw them and he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth. The cloth around his head was lying separate from the linens. And then when he got down to this point, he said he saw and believed. Now, I have a lot of dirty clothes that I've seen in my life. And I never just saw something and freaked out and started believing because I see dirty clothes. So what happened here? If thieves took the body of Jesus it is unlikely that they would have stripped him naked before taking him out of a tomb. But let's say even if they did, the cloth that was tied around his head would not have still been in the same place, tied and left separate from the rest of the linen. This, The linens are here as they're supposed to be. The cloth is here by the head where it should be. And they're just as they were when they put him in the tomb. The the reason why John saw and believed is because it was exactly like they put him in the tomb and Jesus just passed right through him. And he said he's alive. Because he saw them laying there exactly. Like there were I could go on hundreds and hundreds of examples from the scripture. But you know, it's like I find it very interesting that many of us, how many of us have ever heard of Abraham Lincoln? How many of us know that Abraham Lincoln was assassinated? How many of us know who assassinated Abraham Lincoln? Who did? How many doubt that? Then how come, and let me ask this other question. How many of you have ever met Abraham Lincoln? How many of you have ever met John Wilkes Booth? You believe in the story that's been told you by credible historians, yet you've never, ever, ever seen Abraham Lincoln. You never were at the theater, and you never, ever, ever met John Wilkes Booth. But you believe because a historian told you. So why is it people challenge the credibility of the greatest history book that was ever written called the Bible? From eyewitness accounts who tell you we saw him. There were 500 plus of us who saw him alive after the resurrection. Go talk to him today. Why do we keep asking these questions today and tomorrow when we know the truth that Jesus has risen and changed the world eternally forevermore? The resurrection is our receipt. It's our yellow copy. But you know what? In Ephesians chapter 4, you know, we're good at Good Friday and we're good at Easter Sunday, but we forget what happened on Saturday. On Saturday, it tells us that he descended in Ephesians chapter 4, and release the captives. You know what he did? Remember I told you, he paid that price in full for those people who had a layaway plan? You remember layaway plans? Anybody ever done a layaway plan? You can't get the stuff till you pay it in full, am I right? You got to wait, you got to show up and say, here you go, I paid this. And for, for Moses, he had he had done some really good stuff. For, for Elijah, I mean, he, not, Elijah was whisked away, but you have King David. He goes down there and says, uh, Abraham, Father Abraham, this whole thing started because of you and the relationship you have with him. And he's, Abraham's like, yeah, I'm still paying. Yeah, I was paying, but here I am. And Jesus goes down on, on Holy Friday and says, hey, give me your hand. Paid in full. He said, Moses, hey, paid in full. Here he is, paying in full from all those people who had that layaway plan because it couldn't be paid in full because only Jesus could pay it in full. No one followed the, the law to salvation. Only Christ. And you know how I know that he did this also? Because you combine Ephesians 4 with what Jesus said to the thief on the cross. He looked over to him and he said, Today you will be with me in paradise. Not that not I mean he went to heaven. Many of us have mixed that up. It means he went into an area where the good, sinful people were. Not, not a purgatory, but a place in hell where Jesus went and released the captives because they were sinful. And he went down there and he said, He noticed he didn't, and when he went back to disciples, he said, Don't touch me yet. I haven't returned to the Father. He didn't go to heaven. He went down there and said, You guys remain true. I'm paying, give me your hand. Paid in full, paid in full. And he cleaned hell out of all those people who, who trusted in God, but had a debt they could not pay. He paid it all. And Matthew tells us that the tombs of holy people broke open and they started walking around the place. Can you imagine? You talk about freaking you out? You like the walking dead? This is the walking live. <laughs> the resurrection is your receipt. And don't, don't let anybody tell you it's not good. Number four the big question What do you do with this? What do you do with all this now? Sin is a debt you can't pay. And God will not credit account unless you declare bankruptcy. Spiritual bankruptcy. When do people declare bankruptcy? When the debt is so insurmountable they can do nothing else but give up and say, I can't pay. When all hope is lost and they say, I can't pay this, they throw themselves on the mercy to get bankruptcy. File chapter 7, chapter 11, whatever they can do. It's basically financially throwing in the towel when you declare bankruptcy. But I want to tell you something. God won't put anything in your account if you think you got it together. As long as you think you can, God won't put that in your account because you still think you can do it without him. And most people are hoping that good works, a good life, being nice, keeping the Ten Commandments, all things that are good... They think that's going to fill up their account and pay their debt, but it won't. God only accepts the death of Christ as his payment. The debt of Jesus, the debt of our debt was paid in full by Jesus. Your good works and your good things in life, they're good, but they get you nowhere with a holy God. It's like taking Monopoly money to the mall. And you say, oh, I need some more money. And you just reach in and grab that, and you go ahead. I I challenge you to go to the the store with Monopoly money and say, you mind if I pay with these? And they say, yes, I do. (laughs) It's not going to work. You know why? Because it might be good in the game of Monopoly, but it's not in the game of life. It's like, and I have several friends of mine who are policemen, but if you ever heard stories or seen um, other police officers who are, you know, off-duty or whatever, and they're pulled over on a traffic ticket, going fast. And they get pulled over. And as they get pulled over, they, somebody says, uh, your license and your license registration. And they open up, and they pull out the license. And often, they used to have, I well, they still do, but they used to have, like, they keep their license in a place near a badge. That little badge flips over. So the badge is kind of up top or on the side, Uh, but let's let's use the old, the kind I've seen, the one with the badge up top and the license here. And it's really kind of interesting because when you look at the license, it identifies who's guilty of breaking the law. It's the perpetrator. But when you look at the above badge, it identifies a bigger authority. And usually what ends up happening is they say, take it easy, have a nice day, officer. Send them on their way. Am I right? You agree with me? Jimmy will yell at me later, but... um, That's what happens. You see, the sin of speeding by the perpetrator is overwritten by the higher authority of them being an officer. Unless Jesus is above your name in your life, then you're in trouble with your name standing on its own. So the question is, what must you do? You must do a couple things. You must believe. You must believe Assume it assumes knowledge that you recognize that you are a sinner and you can't do this on your own. And the stuff that you do may be nice, but it can't save you. You must be convinced that it's true beyond the shadow of a doubt. Yeah, we all have doubts, but you got to say, This is real and this is true, and I gotta, I'm going to put my faith in you. And we must make a commitment to it. Trust in Christ alone. Many know the facts, but aren't going to heaven. There's a time where I could tell you every stat by every Philly that played the game, but guess what, I still can't hit a curveball or a fastball or anything that much. If you died right now and asked God and God said, why should I let you into heaven? And you went through a list of, I was good, I did this, I did that. Would you, it wouldn't matter to him. The only thing he wants to hear is, I had an incredible relationship, and I believe wholeheartedly in your son, Jesus Christ. And be, I can't come in here, God, but because of your son paying my debt, I, I'm allowed in. That's what it's about. And, you know, right now there might be somebody who's watching online or somebody who, who's hearing this and says, you know what, Jack, but I'm a pretty good person. You know, I eat a lot of egg whites. And, and stuff like that. But uh, sometimes I like regular eggs too. I, I love regular eggs, but they make me and they stick around forever. But let's say you want to make it, you get up in the morning, you want to make an omelet. Anybody like omelets? You want to make a good size one so you put four eggs in it. And you got three that are good and one that's rotten. You have a rotten omelet. Doesn't no matter whether a part of your life is, is just rotten, because it spoils the whole thing. Your good works don't fix the rottenness in your life. And guess what? We all have it, and the only one who fixed that is Jesus. I want to show you a picture. It's a big picture up here. It's the world's largest bulldozer. It's called the Komatsu D575A. Anybody want one? I want one. I don't know what I do with it, but I like it. See that person standing there? It's huge. It's some 16 feet high, 20-some feet wide. It can hold up to 40, uh, four, let me see, 400 gallons of diesel fuel. That's big. It can move a lot of stuff. It's usually used for major road construction and other types of things like that. But I heard of a story where they used it because there was a lot of trash in an area, and they couldn't do anything with it, and they called this big machine in and it dug this huge hole, huge hole. It's clean trash, and then it dug the hole, it put all the trash in there, and buried it. And you never saw any trash again. That's what Christ wants to do in your life. Take all that trash and just move it out of the way, and bury it, and keep it away from your life. Because guess what? When Jesus was on the cross, you were on his mind, and he said, It is finished. Amen. Wayne. Let me have this one reading from Scripture Mark chapter 15, verses 16 through 32. The soldiers led Jesus' way to the palace, that is, the praetorium, and together, the whole company of soldiers, they put the purple robe on him, and they twisted a crown of thorns and set it on him, and they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again, they struck him on the head with their staff, and they spit on him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to the place to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene named Simon The father of Alexander and Rufus was passing by on the way from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which meant the place of the skull, and they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes, and they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him, and the written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at in him, shaking their heads and saying, so you are going to destroy this temple and build it in three days. Come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way the chief priest and the teacher of the law mocked him among themselves, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross so that we may see and believe, and those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At this time, we're going to move, and I know they're going to be uh, playing, uh, singing a song called Love Where I'm Red. At this time, we shared in the service today that it's finished. And if you're like me, there's stuff in your life that's just not finished. There's stuff that's just rotten. There's stuff that just is keeping you from who Christ wants you to be. And one of the traditions we've had in this service for the last several years is we have a large cross here and we have palms because in many ways we are the same people that may early in the week and Sunday just say, save us, Lord, save us. But then as the week goes on and Jesus doesn't answer those prayers and those things that we need and want Him to right now, that we may get to a point where we may even come to a point in our lives where we don't let Jesus in and we say, crucify Him. You're not there for me. You're not the Savior in that area. And so what we want to do today is just grab a palm and a, Hammer? Some nails? And if you'd like somebody to help you with that, they can we can we can do that as well. And just take that palm and as a symbol of those airs where we praise him, but it's starting to lose its luster. You know, these the other day were all all green and vibrant, and now they're starting to get a little bit worn, a little dry. And for many of us if we look over the last few weeks, months and days of our year, we may be that person that we start off at this high point but now it's starting to get dry God didn't move I did and so we need to get to the cross and recognize it's where the love of Christ ran red through his blood and renew our commitment to Christ so please come as you're led and begin to just go ahead just grab a palm anyone you want here you can rip them right off of here just pull them and then grab this nail and begin to nail it into the cross. Please come.
1: Comes like a flood Comes flowing down At the cross At the cross I surrender cross at the cross i surrender my life and i'm in all of you and i'm in all of you where your love
0: At noon, darkness came over the whole land until there, <clears throat> until the, three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, some of those standing near when they heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge mixed with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. We're going to have a couple people come up, and we're going to go ahead and we're going to walk the cross out to the hill, and it'll be put in place, so we have um, two people are going to carry that. Um, We'd ask that you kind of stay seated until we begin to move out and away from the chairs, and then everybody, please come and follow suit. We'll be going out these doors as well.